0: And it was when she was small, I think Doug and I struggled the most. And I think in relation to the cancer, that was when we probably had to start adjusting to what was our normal life. And we weren't in the bubble of, he's just recovered from this treatment, and he's, which we had for that first year of Buster. Suddenly it's like, oh, this is our day to day now. And there's two of them. And, and like, you feel like you have to caveat with, and I love them. Like, I love them intensely. But I just felt completely lost. I just felt really low. We were on a bridge near where we live and I, we were walking along. We were going to a birthday party, like a two-year-old birthday party on a Saturday. And I was so stressed, like getting out of the house had been so stressful. Everything was just so stressful. I wasn't enjoying anything. I was like battling through everything, whereas Doug didn't seem to be. And I just turned to him and was like, I'm not right. I am not right. And he... Was like,
1: no, you're not. Every L every L Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L. Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss to sit back, relax or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go! Welcome everybody to another episode of Every Old Podcast where we have different guests come on and talk about their life experiences, about what they've gone through, the highs, the lows and how they navigated those spaces, because let's be honest, when we're having a high, it's a fun time. It's all good, it's all gravy. But then when you're having your lows, oh my gosh, you just, you're not enjoying that life. You're not enjoying the friction, you're not enjoying the migraines, you're not enjoying the bad feelings you're having, you're not enjoying the heaviness of everything that's going on, your days drag on longer, and it's not a good look. Your reaction to things may be very different to how they normally are, and sometimes, that's a thing, that's fine. But if people don't understand what you're going through or you don't understand what you're going through, it can make you question a lot of things, whether you're doing a good job as a parent, as a person, son, brother, mother, whatever you're, however you are in your family. But these conversations to help give you an insight into other people's lives, to see how they navigate a certain situation in their lives. And that uh, it's okay sometimes to deal with things the way you have because potentially what you're going through now isn't where you're going to reside forever so me saying all that to say I have another fantastic guest I'm gonna use the word fantastic all the time now because that just runs really well it's this person I've waited for them for a while because they're worth waiting for they are someone who I've admired from a distance I came across the company I own or founded, at least and it was funny because the site is called don't buy her flowers and I'm like allergic to flowers, so it kind of worked out for me because I'm not trying to buy her no flowers. And it was just a lot of different stuff on there that drew inspiration to help me be more considerate about what I was getting my wife rather than just, oh, let me just buy her this because it's an, a, an event that's happening. It's Valentine's Day. It's Mother's Day. It's whatever. And ultimately... Aside from what she does there, she has a blog post, she does podcasts, she's doing stuff for charity as well. She's just an amazing human being who's also a mother. And it's just what she does and how she does it is just so brilliant to me. I just love her openness. I've listened to her podcast episodes and it feels like I'm a fly on the wall in her kitchen listening to her talk to a friend. But I'm also able to hear the other side of the conversation. And it's so natural, so down to earth. It I honestly say, just check out the podcast. It's just so candid and so refreshing because I find that a lot of the time we're talking to people because we want something out of them. We're not just having chats with people because we're we just want to have a chat. But Steph's conversations are that. And I do get something from it. And yeah, predominantly it's kind of like a mum's chat. But I learned stuff as a dad. I learned stuff as a person. Listening to people talk about really cool and interesting stuff and things I didn't think I was interested in. So, yeah, go have a check of that. But ultimately, Steph here is an amazing individual who does incredible things. And I'm just grateful for her to just being the person that she is and just breaking down stereotypes that people could have of people in her position and just being authentically herself. There was a post she put out recently, which I actually... Had to put my phone down because it made me laugh. It it, it, it involves someone doing the handstand in the house. That's what I'm going to say there. It was quite comical. And mm-hmm. depending on when you're listening to this, you might have to do a little bit of scrolling to find it. But, Steph, how are you doing today?
0: Hello. I'm all right. It's, yeah, it's post lunch. I have had some food. That's important because I suffer with hanger quite badly
1: <laughs> if I don't
0: eat. So that's important. Um, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you.
1: That's good. Do you mind introducing yourself in a way you feel comfortable with and obviously divulging what you feel comfortable divulging before we go into your first L?
0: Okay, so I'm Steph. I've got three children. They're 5, 10 and 12. So I feel like I'm coming out the other side. Matt obviously has very young children. So I'm at a different stage and I run Don't Buy Her Flowers. So I founded it in 2014 and it was because of my experience with my first baby when I got sent loads of flowers and was like, this is a dreadful gift for someone who's just had a baby. When you are exhausted and overwhelmed and leaking and you might feel angry at your partner, we can, we'll come on to that. But yeah, and, and so it was just thoughtful gifts was the idea, but it was started as gifts gift for new mums. And then it has grown into lots of different occasions. And birthday is our biggest reason. Bereavement, get well corporate gifting we do have started doing more and more of so um it's become something quite different i used to pack the boxes on my knees in my spare room and now we've got a warehouse in gloucestershire and a team so that's a big part of me is definitely my business because it's very personal and it takes up a lot of my time and if i'm not doing that i'm probably doing something with the kids (laughs) (laughs) and i've got a husband as well doug who is called mark but we call him doug because his surname's Douglas, just to be really clear. Cause
1: <laughs> so his name's not Doug Douglas. His
0: name's not Doug Douglas. Just
1: in case you thought, or I potentially thought it could have been.
0: People say it all the time. But yeah, and I love, I love doing the podcast. I love talking. I love... I love talking honestly. Uh, I'm a dreadful liar, actually. So, even as a kid, my mum used to say that when I walked in from school, she knew what they were in for. Like you could tell by the look on my face what kind of a what kind of a mood I was in, what kind of day I'd had. Which I don't know if that's good or bad, but I I can't really hide it. So that's kind of and I, people sort of bandy the word authentic around a lot. But I suppose that's my aim would be authentic, and I and I'm drawn to other people who are honest and open and genuine i think and i feel like i very quickly sniff someone out if they're not and i I have that kind of ick feeling where i'm like i don't want to spend time or get to know this person particularly if i feel a bit uncertain of them
1: that's a fair share i i guess i'm similar in that way as well what a lot of people may not know is i do have a few people Arts to come on the podcast, and if I don't know a person like that or I don't feel the conversation would go a certain way, this is my passion project. I'm not gonna just mm. have anyone jump on who I don't vibe with because I didn't do time editing and doing other stuff. I don't want to spend time on something I'm not passionate about. It's just not worthwhile. No. So I get that, and yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate for you who what you do, how you present yourself, and what you're able to do by challenging what other people may think. Someone of your stature should be like. So, thank you.
0: <laughs> You'd say that, but that just makes me feel silly. <laughs> but thank you, you're very complimentary.
1: So, Steph said over what she would like to talk about, and I'm gonna go into it with her. So the first one is, Doug, Mark, mm. diagnosis with cancer when mm. I was pregnant with Buster in 2010. Mm. Now that sounds brutal. Mm. It's hard enough being pregnant. What I understand from my wife, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. may look like pregnant, Be but careful. I'm not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then to hear that, there's, it, that, that's so multifaceted that just to deal with that in isolation would have been challenging. To deal with pregnancy in its own in its own right is challenging. To have the two worlds collide like that. Mm you're looking forward to the future but at the same time you're worried for the future because you don't know if you're running it solo mm-hmm. or otherwise mm-hmm. and yeah if you don't mind going back to the beginning the way you feel mm-hmm. it's relevant to start off what happened and how you how things progressed through a timeline
0: so so we we met um, it all happened quite quickly it was quite quite um, whirlwind and um, Doug was playing rugby in Italy just after we met he'd gone to Italy to do a season there playing rugby which was really exciting I used to fly out there and go and he was like I mean it's not like the Premier League here but it was pretty good so they had he had a house and a car and a And he played, that was what he did all day. So he trained. So he also was fit because he just trained. (laughs) And he still is, obviously. He trained for six hours, six hours a day, like training. And we were in our 20s. And so... That was our first year and then we moved in together and he proposed, he asked my dad, he sent a telegram to my dad to ask if he could marry me after nine months. I don't know why a telegram, he was just trying to be different. He was living in another country and he was like, oh, you can still, I, I don't know if you know this, but you can still send telegrams. <laughs> Who knew?
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: So he asked for my dad's permission, so quite old school. And and then he proposed, so he proposed, we met in the June, July And he proposed the following March, so it was quite quick, and we hadn't spent that much time together because he was living in another country. And then we got married a year and a bit later, I think, and then we had two years, so yeah, of just us. And I can't. I think we were trying for baby, and he he didn't feel right, so. The sports thing is relevant because he was physically in really good shape. He knew his body very well, um, which I think is important because a lot of us don't probably and he, or we should, but he'd, he didn't feel right. So he was having like night sweats, loose bowels, like nothing massive and he would have been 29. So he went to the doctor and... He was about to leave and they said, and he, he went through his symptoms they are like, I think this is, they think this is stress, basically. They were like, you know, you've, you've got a relatively, he'd gone back into his work then, which was in banking, so you're working in, in finance, quite stressed, it's probably that, you're too young for it to be anything else. And as he was leaving, he had his hand on the door and he just turned around and was like, do you know what, I've got private health with my work, can you just refer me, because something's not right, which... That's one of those sliding doors moments where you kind of go. And and I suppose that's probably a message for anyone listening. And I just watched the Deborah James Bow Babe documentary last night. Like, if something isn't right with your body, go and check it out. Don't wait. Because I think especially for people of our age and you've got probably got family and work and everything's busy. It's really easy to just keep kicking that to the back and think, oh, I'll get back to that. So anyway, he went for he got referred. He went to he was very lucky to have. Healthcare had a check and they very quickly referred him for a scan and he knew basically meanwhile I found out I was pregnant so I'm just in this bubble of like oh my god I'm so special because I'm pregnant this is all about me this is meant to be all about me and I wasn't really I he wasn't making a big thing of it but I wasn't really paying attention to it because I think I was just like you know oh, it's, it's not going to be I it never crossed my mind that it would be cancer just didn't at all and he had a scan and at the same time they did a various tests, I think bloods and other tests. And he knew because the guy who'd done the scan, he could see on his face that something was up. And the guy was like, okay, well, we need to do a few tests. So I think Doug knew before he was officially told, which I think is quite common actually. If someone's really switched into it, I think there's a, also there's people in denial. but And so, yeah, he was going to get his results and... I got into work because when we both worked in London, both worked in town. And I mentioned to my boss, oh, Doug's got some results today. Oh, I don't know. He's, there's been a couple of things. I don't know. I don't think it's, you know. And my boss, who is a really good guy, was like, uh, do you think you should go with him? <laughs> and I wasn't going to, which now I look back and think, oh, my God. Because I do, I was so focused on the fact that we were having a baby. And so this and this can't be. There can't be something going wrong because we're too young and all those other things so I went with him and yeah the consultant said you've got cancer um and it was stage three cancer really rare cancer and so he he would have to you know it's like right you're gonna have to have surgery very quickly and go into treatment and it's not it's the it's medullary thyroid cancer it's not treatable with chemo although that might have changed because this is now 12 13 years ago but I think one of the things with cancer is that people will go to, Oh, I know someone that's got that like thyroid cancer is quite common. So people would say, Oh, I know someone that's got that. Oh, they're totally fine now, but this is a really particular rare type. And actually whatever cancer you got, it doesn't always help to hear about other people because there's so many variants within your own, you know, when it got caught, when, what treatment you can have, what, how old you are, like was so much stuff. So yeah, he, he very quickly was told that he was going to have surgery and, we kind of, we pulled together massively. So it was awful. I think the the most awful bit, I mean, when they told us I fell apart and was just crying and the, the consultant handed me the tissues, Doug was sat next to me, just very kind of stoic. And I can remember us coming out of the consultant and laughing about something. Like we just went into, probably into shock. And then we had to tell our families. And given we'd got married two years before, my brother had just got married. So we'd been at a big family wedding where we'd seen everyone and we'd told everyone that I was pregnant because this was, I was 14 weeks when he was diagnosed. But so I'd, a couple of weeks before we'd had the big wedding, told everyone. And um, yeah, and our families obviously were devastated, like just in shock, massively in shock. This is this really fit young guy who'd never smoked. There was no, you know, no massive history of cancer in the family. Uh, and everyone knew we were about to have a baby. So they're just kind of heartbroken for us, I guess. So you're dealing with other people's reactions and our friends who were, we've got a really good group of friends and because we'd met and got married and lots of our friends were doing the same at that time, and Doug's got a really tight group of boy mates that he went to school with, and girls as well, actually. So all mixed in, and all the wives and girlfriends, that group, like we'd been to Australia together, we'd done lots of travelling, because it was at a point where no one had children and we had money. Remember that? Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we all worked, and we could go, you know, and so we'd doing nice things. So we'd really bonded. They were our family, really, living in London. We were all each other's families. So they were all just it completely blew up like everybody's just what what has happened and and actually some of our friends were living in Australia which is why we'd gone out and they it was one of the they came back not long after that and they were like it was one of the contributing reasons to move back because you kind of it put into perspective like that could happen to any of us at any point which obviously it could and given that we were young and we'd all just been having a really fun time for the last few years it was like a real reckoner of you don't know what's going to happen, but you're not protected just because you're young. And I remember I I really wanted to see my mum. I can remember, and Doug was brilliant, because I think because I was pregnant probably more so, he was wanting to protect me from everything as well. I remember we went to my family and everyone got really, really pissed, except me, because I was pregnant, just to be together. And I can remember it being really fun. I can remember us all because they just wanted, they love him. You know, they'd met this guy who I'd fallen head over heels with very quickly. He's a really good guy and they'd fallen in love with him as well. And it just was like, how can this be happening? Um, so, yeah, our, our families were amazing. I think for Doug's parents, I can't really speak for them, but I think, it was very, very hard. It was their son, you know. You're not supposed to die, before, you know, you're not supposed to outlive your kids. And at that point, we didn't know what what was going to happen, um, except for that they just said he needs surgery. So he was booked in for surgery. And I remember we were meant to be going to see some some concert and then we were going to miss the concert because he was going to have a surgery. We were like, that's OK, because we just, I think, when you've been diagnosed and there's a plan, which is, right, we're going to do this, you just want it to start happening because otherwise you're just feeling out of control waiting. Um, and then the anaesthetist was off or on holiday and that, it sounds as if, the, I don't know myself really, but the surgeon and the anaesthetist are like paired and they work together and it's very important to them that they work together. So the surgeon was like, I'm, I don't want to do this until he's back. So it got delayed. So we ended up going to this concert and just both sitting In silence, really, because we were just kind of in shelter. It was like, okay, well, we can still go. But just, yeah, it felt really weird. And then he had surgery. And actually, um, they called me. So his work at the time put him up in a hotel around the corner from where he was having surgery, which was amazing. Like uh, the kindnesses that you get from people during this kind of thing make all the difference. Like they didn't have to do that. They gave me access to like the Addison Lee account so that I could get back and forth, and in part probably because I was pregnant, but also just to be, I think when people are like, what can we do? Practical stuff like that was exactly what they could do.
1: But some company are not forthcoming like that and common sense isn't always common amongst
0: exactly. places
1: like that. So that sounds absolutely incredible and really supportive.
0: I still remember it and I still think of his boss at the time and he's had three jobs since probably and like every night I still think of those, that those people is just showing that kindness, just really thinking about what's going to help this situation because there's not much we can say or do, really. Um, and then, so he had surgery and the, the consultant rang, uh, the surgeon rang me to say, yeah, there was actually more cancer than we were expecting and it had spread to some lymph nodes. And so it's four in, th- I think, you know, it's whatever time, it was, it had gone on for hours and I'm in this hotel room and I'm thinking, oh, I should be living it up because I'm in this really nice hotel room, but I'm also just terrified. And I ended up ringing his mate in Australia because it was four in the morning. It was four in the morning I was awake and I was like, just falling apart a bit, like, oh God. And your head goes to, he's going to die and I'm having a baby and I he can't die. But what if he does? And just all this stuff and just the way the surgeon had said it, I was like, shit, this is bigger than they thought, uh, which it was because it had spread more than they thought and they couldn't get it all out. But he, he, they'd done quite an aggressive, surgery to his throat so he's got a sort of slit across his throat which is just a lovely scar now
1: bit of a bad boy look
0: yeah 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 which really goes with his very un-bad boy look <laughs> <laughs> every now and then it could yeah and uh yeah i can remember ringing his mate because in australia it wasn't four in the morning and him just being like oh god step you know everyone was just really scared everyone was just really scared it almost feels like that happened to someone else because it's I don't know how we coped in lots of ways but we did Um, and then after the surgery he had a few weeks where he was kind of had to try and recover a bit and And the, he ended up in hospital for two weeks and he came home at one point he couldn't breathe probably had to go back so because it was his throat it was quite a big deal and then he had to have six weeks of radiotherapy so in between that he was best man at his best mate who was in Australia's wedding and he had to give a speech. And obviously his voice was really dodgy, but he was absolutely determined that he was going to do the speech. He didn't speak for ages, like days and run up to this and he sounded terrible, but he did it. And it was amazing. I was obviously by that point, I think I was about six months pregnant. And then he had six weeks of radiotherapy, like really targeted radiotherapy, which it, it starts off with, with with the radiotherapy that he had that you can still get. I remember we'd, we'd go to work, like we'd go on the train together. He'd be like, right, well, I'm going off to have my radiotherapy and he'd go off. And then, but it's cumulative. So within three-ish, four-ish weeks, he was exhausted and in pain. And it'd like burn all the skin at the front of his neck. Um, so he had all these kind of scabs and he just was completely exhausted and having to try and eat because they, they want you to try and keep your weight up. And because it's also precise with the radiotherapy, they want you to maintain the weight that you started on. But it, I can remember I was like getting fatter and fatter because I was pregnant. So I was like ballooning. I'll eat that if you're not going to have it because he's slowly making his way through like some mashed potato. And then he had his last radiotherapy and I went with him because it was the last one. And we were running late and the, the we got there and they said, oh, we thought maybe the baby had come. I was like, no, we've got four weeks. yet. Yeah, i just finished work. And then I went to labour the next day. Of course I did. Because I think my body was so tense through, because it, my, basically all of my pregnancy that I, where I was aware I was pregnant, pretty much all of it was filled with cancer, like working out what was happening and plans and stuff. And then as soon as it stopped, The baby came and there was, you know, I mean, babies come early, but it was literally I'd just finished work and I was planning on a bit of time off and had finished his treatment. Like, right, we're going to have a bit of time to chill, put the cot together. And then and that was uh, Buster.
1: That's that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And as as lovely as it sounded as a story, I can only imagine how long your days must have been the dread the because no one really wants to think about bad things let's be honest it's not a good feeling but in your situation you've kind of forced to face a potential reality mm-hmm. that could have been yours because you're thinking this man i've fallen head over heels in love with we've done this we've done that we've tried we've conceived i'm happy this was not meant to be part of the story and if it was it should not be this early in the book this should be in the latter stages of the yeah, book.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't want to raise a child on my own. I'd, you know, all these new conversations you're going to have with different groups of people, like it's it's something, and for those that don't know, I've had a lot of experience with death. in, in a, I guess to put it in a more concise way, I had five family members pass away in a space of 16 months, mm-hmm. all in separate God. occurrences. So I've had mm-hmm. to deal with, these types of thoughts and understanding that the conversation you have with people that you are in your circle, you're gonna have to keep mm. having them, and it's hard, it's challenging, and that's without me being hormonal <laughs> as a mother. Yeah, like that. That for me, I can only imagine what you went through. I think you look incredible because I think I would have just had grey hairs upon grey hairs. At <laughs> oh, this that have like,
0: died, I've <laughs> died it all. Oh no, it, I mean. I can remember I I thought about his funeral. I imagined myself giving a speech, which was really weird, but I think my head went there a lot of times. Yeah. And then I kind of had to pull myself back in. Cause you do, you and I hadn't previously particularly thought about anybody dying, but I did and I was I was kind of and I don't know if I was preparing myself in a way. Um and then actually actually for the first years afterwards we still didn't know, like, how long has he got? What does this mean? And actually the cancer isn't doing anything. He's not he's not cured of cancer. There's still some cells there, and the type of cancer he has, and the treatments have really changed in that time. So again, that's all like the positives, but we didn't know any of that. So it took over our lives, I would say. It it a lot of our conversations and thoughts and even nice moments would be tainted with ugh, the cancer. And now I'm 13 years on, that definitely gets less and less, but it's still there sometimes. But that beginning bit, it was, um, it, it was always in our heads, I think.
1: What would you say was the hardest part of that process? And don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting mm-hmm. Doug's experiences, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of focused on you. But you as an individual in that instance, what was the hardest part for you to process
0: I think it probably was thinking I'm going to have to do this on my own Um, And I just That just hadn't ever crossed my mind Partly because we'd had this whirlwind But I'd I'd met Doug And was completely head over heels Like he was it Having met lots of men before Not too many but a few (laughs) that sounded no
1: comment <laughs>
0: but, uh, but I'd never met anyone like him and he is I mean our friends he's pretty unique in lots of irritating as well as wonderful ways but at that point I only really thought of him as wonderful because he hadn't, we didn't have years of experience and all the rest of it kids and sleeplessness yeah I think it was thinking how am I going to do this on my own and also the other bit that was really hard I think was having exactly as you said having to keep having those conversations with people and we were really lucky in a lot of ways that we have got brilliant family who are very like sensitive. My mum and dad are definitely full of kind of empathy and tried to really understand and be there. And our friends were also just amazing. And we ended up with a system where we had a point of contact within our group of mates. I don't really know how it happened. I think they worked it out. So rather than each of them contacting us for updates, because with cancer, especially, it's constantly evolving, like when you're getting results, and then you had some test results and then they've done some surgery, and then you've got some treatment. and so it there's a lot of information that you're trying to get your head around alongside, is he going to die? And then having to keep relaying that is really exhausting. I think i I focused on doing some practical stuff. I remember saying to my mum, well, he doesn't have any pyjamas because, you know, we're 29. He didn't wear pyjamas.
1: And that's how you got pregnant.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I went out and bought him pyjamas or I'd kind of think about food or. But I, I was on a cycle of I could be really tough and and kind of like, yeah, no, it's fine. And also I uh, some denial for sure where I someone would say, you know, what, what, what might happen? I was like, well, he's going to be fine because I'm pregnant. So he has to be. And I'd say that to him. I was like, but you have to be fine. It's going to be fine. Cause you have to be, but I didn't necessarily think that, but that's what I kind of said. But I know I had, I'd have like a three day cycle and I'd, I'd be feeling okay. Yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And then day three, I'd have a crash and I'd just be in consult- like crying. And finding it really hard and just like, this is really sad. This is just really sad. And I can remember phoning one of my mates who actually works with me at Don't Buy Her Flowers, who's a very good friend. She was living in Ireland at the time, I rang her, and I, I couldn't speak. I kind of squeaked down the phone, and she was like, oh, Steph. And I just remembered she just knew, and this is probably in the day of landline or something, because it wasn't on a mobile. And she was like, oh, Steph. She just knew, and she just let me, I just sobbed down the phone for 20 minutes, and she just kind of let me. So those things make a massive difference to how you cope, I think. The people the people around you is like the key bit, isn't it? But you also feel very low. You're the only person going through that experience.
1: Yeah, and it, it, it is a very tough and isolating position to be in because as much as you want to be there for other people, it always comes back to you and how it impacts you. Mm. And... I guess even though I'm grateful that you're in the position you're in now, like you as a whole family, mm-hmm. it's still hard to imagine someone having to go through that mm. and not let it have too much of a negative impact on your way you perceive things. Mm. Because like you said, you, it, it tainted your, you know, you'd have, because it's not completely gone in terms of the cells itself. But mm-hmm. then I believe there's a study that says, oh, you've all got it in us anyway. There's a way to be activated if they are going to be activated. So that's a fear. So everyone's going to have a fear. But the reality is, is that you have a happy moment, but then all it takes is a split second to remember,
0: mm.
1: why are you happy? This could be the last, I don't want to think about that, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. the thought's already there.
0: Yeah.
1: And now you're, that smile becomes a wry smile to then mm. suddenly a frown. And the way I see it is when I'm not in a good mood, or I'm very sad it seemed like all the colours are drained out of life mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. black and white. That's all mm. it is. And I hate that it happened to you. Mm. When that was all happening, you had. A, it sounded like you had a fantastic support network around you mm. and you was obviously telling yourself, you're going to be all right. Mm. Do you think you did that because the confidence your support network gave you for just rallying and being there with you, whether they said things or not, just being there for you, mm. Gave you the strength to be able to be positive, but also potentially be accepting of what could be also a possibility.
0: Mm, Yeah, they let me they let me be sad as well. Like, no, I I, in lots of ways I was powering through, I would say, because I think and maybe it comes later when we talk about the other L, but it, it definitely still impacted me. And I think, but I think more, I think in that period, I just had to, we had to cope. Like we pulled together. We were very together, the two of us. And again, it probably helped that we didn't have kids at that point because it just, all my focus was on him and all his focus was on me. We were really tight and we learned a lot about each other in a very quick, you know, short space of time, given we had not been together that long. But actually as well, ha- having the pregnancy, it gave us a focus. So although it makes it quite a tragic part of the story. Like, oh, God, this poor girl, she's pregnant and now her husband's been diagnosed with cancer. And actually, it, it gave us focus, for sure. And, and so when I was saying, like, well, you can't die because we're having a baby and this is what's happening, it was, yeah, that, it wasn't, it wasn't, it gave, it as a, I think it gave us a focus and also, like, the people around us did... It, they weren't pretending everything was okay. You'd, the people who would say, oh, well, I had a cousin's someone, someone who has had that, and they're fine. That wasn't our immediate network, really. Our immediate group of mates and family just let us do and say whatever we wanted. And I think, again, my best mates are my mates from school, and Doug has the same, So, which I think is probably quite unusual. We both have that. And they were all... They'd let us... Do whatever we needed to do. One of my mates is a nurse, Debbie, and she sent me a necklace that was like, uh, we're from Stroud in Gloucestershire, and it's quite hippie. And it was like some stone that was meant to give you some peace and healing or whatever it was. And she sent it to me and it just said, like, if you need a bit of strength, this is this necklace will do it. She's a nurse. She's really medical. She, She's not that woo-woo. Uh, whatever
1: gets the job done, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. And, you know, and I wore that thing for months until it turned my neck green like I did, you know. I was kept it on. But it, what it was is it was someone knowing I needed strength. Someone who loved me know that I must be needing something. So in that gift, and I guess that kind of ties in with what we do it, don't buy her flowers. It's like someone is going through something and they need a bit of acknowledgement that that's what what they're going through. Um, I always remember that. I remember opening it and just sobbing because I was like, oh, she gets it. She knows what I... Oh, that makes me feel really emotional. That make She knows that I need something to push me through this, whatever, however long this is going to last for.
1: That's really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And... I I think it is important. And that's part of the reason why the whole podcast does what it does. It's trying to help people to understand it's okay to feel what you're feeling. You need to just, I guess, try out the parameters in, in which you're occupying, just to understand where your do not fly zone is. Mm -hmm. you know you may not be ready today but next week you might be all right but you just need to understand where you're at if you need to cry have a cry Mm -hmm. if you're feeling this way you're feeling that way but if you deny someone of that opportunity Mm. they might then do it behind your back when you're unable to help them because they don't trust you because you wouldn't allow them to feel what they're feeling Mm. and i think that's really really encouraging if i was to say then you used to go back in time and talk to your younger version of yourself this is a twofold question. First fold: when do you think is the, the lowest point you got to during that ordeal? And two, what would you have said to your younger self to be able to encourage yourself to just keep going and not give up?
0: I think it was probably when he had the surgery and they, and the consultant rang or the surgeon rang and said, it's worse than we thought it was. Cause until that point, I think I'd kind of be going. Oh, it's going to be fine. He's going to have the surgery, and then we're going to be that. You know, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's lots of it's fine. Um, and and that at that point in that hotel room, I can remember feeling really lonely because I didn't have Doug there. Like in all the other things where he'd had um, information or whatever, we we'd been together, but he was in a hospital with drains coming out of him and all the other gross medical stuff going on, and I was. In a hotel, just completely on my own, and I think at that point I was eighteen weeks pregnant, so starting to kind of feel a bit pregnant, and just thinking, "Oh God, I'm really on my own here." And that was, but but then, but then I reached. I suppose exactly as you say, don't be on your own if you need if you need to be emotional, if you need to talk to somebody. Like I, I rang his mate at four in the morning, knowing that he would say something that made me feel better. So I didn't just sit on my own, but I can remember feeling really, that being really lonely.
1: Do you think there was anything you could have said to your younger version of yourself to try and help you push on? Because I'm appreciative that it sounds like your support work from mm. far and away is top tier. But there are some people that, unfortunately, don't have that level of support. But then there might have been times, and and forgive me for making this assumption, but it might have been times where it's just you on your own. Mm -hmm. It's an hour of the day where it's just not convenient Mm -hmm. to call anyone or you can't think of the right person who could talk to you during that feeling. What would you say to yourself to help you just go on?
0: Probably just remind myself and tell myself that I'm pretty tough, really. I don't want to say that people go through worse and all that stuff because I don't when you're comparing trauma and awful things like and in lots of ways I'm I'm really privileged but I think I think it would just be to I it probably did teach me that I'm tougher I've I've always been fairly tough I've known what I wanted I used to be called bossy when I was a kid because I knew what I wanted I was that character so I think it would just be to let myself know that I would be okay and actually and it doesn't I don't want to think about it but I would have been okay whatever had happened yeah but I'm glad that we've got the outcome we did
1: and do you think you would have been receptive to it because I'm assuming you would have been because you seem to be quite receptive to the way you recount the situation with your mm. support network would you have been receptive to hearing those things when you was in a very low place
0: yeah I think I think so or I think as long as you've got someone that could hold you let you say all your fears I think I, I think at the time I only said to one friend, it might have been my friend Debbie the nurse actually that I just was like what if he dies I'm really scared I didn't actually say that out loud to people nobody wants to hear that and nobody wants to talk about that so that a lot of that was, was just in my head that's,
1: that's encouraging so if you were to say that isn't an L what would you call that
0: I, I learned a massive amount about me and Doug and life like, and this is, again, this is really easy for me to say now, 13 years on and everyone's healthy and we've had three children and all the rest of it. But I think all of this, like, the, life, is, life isn't life, is all roses, right? We know that. So there's always going to be stuff like this is going to happen and in lots of ways I'm I'm lucky that it happened when we were quite young because it probably gave me a, a better and a different understanding of Doug and I. It gave me a better understanding of myself. It gave me a better understanding of life, and how it can turn really quickly because I was indestructible probably in my 20s pretty much like we're hanging out with our mates we're having a great time my parents were reasonably young um, compared to where we're at now you know like 13 years on and everyone's getting older so actually it was at a point when life was pretty sweet really so I think it 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 taught me a lot
1: really important that managed to get something from it mm. i guess it, it it would hurt to go through something like this and not necessarily be able to see something else out of it that's gain something else from it mm. but I, I i greatly appreciate you sharing that it, it sounds horrible hopefully it hasn't made you have to relive a trauma that is hard for you to overcome once again
0: no do you know, we've we've talked about it we talk about it quite a lot less so like i say now but i think the two of us because it was very much just us going through it so we've we both remember it a lot
1: and I guess as well even though you both went through the same situation it's the same coin but different sides of that same coin yeah yeah
0: yeah. and
1: it's it must be healthy to be able to have well how did you feel and unpack Mm. it and Mm. then how did you feel unpack it and go okay it's amazing how it's the same thing but it's different
0: yeah well and he'll say I'm he was like i would every day i would do that again rather than watch you go through it i think that's he can't envisage watching someone go through it and i guess i can't really envisage what it would be like to have that diagnosis yourself so definitely have different had a different experience
1: no that's it's beautiful and i'm happy that you guys are in a much better place now mm. right so if we go into yours it's the second l if mm-hmm. you're still alright mm. So the second thing you want to talk about is when the kids were small. Just rub it in, why don't you? When Mabel was was three months and Buster was two, mm-hmm. I struggled. Right, guys. So I have three kids under four. Yeah, it, it, this is bitter because you just rubbing it in my face. For- <laughs>
0: Sorry. It gets better. I mean, I can tell you now, it gets better.
1: Can't get worse. <laughs> although although I have said this before and I don't know if I've actually said it online. But if we found out we was having triplets, I promise you I'd have quit. Whatever conversation I had with people prior to finding out I was having triplets, I'm not finishing it with you. I quit. Any work I did at work, quit. Oh but what about money? I'm not gonna have money anyway when the kids are here, so I might well just get enjoy my free time now while I can.
0: Yeah. I... <clears throat>
1: I love my family. I absolutely do love them. Yeah. But it's a lot to give of yourself in such a short amount of time going from, like, I know people that have had two pregnancies and had two kids. Must feel great. <laughs> you know what that's like? <laughs> I've had two pregnancies, three kids. It's good to brag and say, well, I'm an overachiever. Yeah. That's good as a joke.
0: Yeah. When
1: well, you have to have a house full of five people and two cats. Yeah feels a bit like old mcdonald farm all of a sudden we've it's got so lot. we've
0: got five people and two cats actually
1: yeah but yours was your, mine, mine was, was my spread design out. oh just yeah my design <laughs>
0: no and my and my first and my third are really spread out for all the reasons we're probably going to talk about because the first two were really close together and i was like oh my god after that and then it was another five years till before we then had frank so go ahead,
1: tell me, tell me of you. I want to hear what it's like okay. from someone that purposefully <laughs> had three kids.
0: So, well, I think I, I just had no like. Now I feel very in this world as you are of what it's like, and talking very honestly and openly about what it's like to have babies and talking to other people about having babies. But I just hadn't really thought about it prior to having one. Um, I knew that I wanted to. I just thought it was really straightforward, and this is what everyone does. I had no concept of how much it completely changes your body, world, relationship, work, everything. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and actually, because we had Buster like so close to Doug finishing treatment, I think I was still in survival mode for a lot of of Buster's yeah, like first year. And also it was one kid and two adults, which is now you can look and go, oh, yeah, easy. I mean, I know people who've got a baby and there's two of them and it doesn't feel easy. But in hindsight, you go, oh, my God, there were two of us. And um, yeah, and I think so. I Doug was really poorly still for the first few weeks because he was recovering from this radiotherapy so in his voice and his throat and he'd lost loads of weight and all that stuff. Um, and he was off work. And then and but then my focus, I had a year off work and I just was had my focus was Buster and that was what I did really. I found it, definitely found it hard. Um, I, the idea for don't buy flowers came because I got loads of flowers. I was like, what the chaff is this? Why are people giving me something to look after when I am really, really spent? Um, But it was kind it was all, it was all right. And then I got pregnant with Mabel when Buster was one, basically he'd just turned one. So I was pregnant. So they're, they're pretty close together. And, um, and again, I had gone back to work, so I was feeling, getting myself back a bit. And But then I went back to work pretty much pregnant. And, um, and nine months later, Mabel arrived. And it was when she was small, I think Doug and I struggled the most. And I think in relation to the cancer, w- that was when we probably had to start adjusting to what was our normal life. And we weren't in the bubble of, he's just got, he's just recovered from this treatment and he's... Which we had for that first year of Buster. Suddenly it's like, oh, this is our day to day now. And there's two of them. And, and like, you feel like you have to caveat with, and I love them. Like, I love them intensely. Um, But I just felt completely lost. I just felt really low and. Um, and that particular moment that I mentioned being my lowest was we were on a bridge um, near where we live. So both of us can remember exactly where we were. And I, we were walking along. Mabel's in a buggy. I think they're both they're in those one of those massive, I, mean, I don't know how you do it with three, but we, we had a big bloody one on top of the other double buggy. We were going to a birthday party, like a two-year-old birthday party on a Saturday, which is what you do when you have small kids, right? That's all you do. Yeah. Just... And I was and I was so stressed, like getting out of the house had been so stressful. Everything was just so stressful. I wasn't enjoying anything. I was like battling through everything, whereas Doug didn't seem to be. And I just turned to him, I was like, I'm not right. I am not right. And he was like, no, you're not. But we until that point, we just hadn't had that conversation. I was like, I, I don't know what to do. And I was crying. And he was like, okay... And we we're on the way to this party. He's like, okay, well, I think you should go to the doctor. Um, and it just that in itself helped, just acknowledging it, saying it out loud, like, I'm not right. This doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. And, and I remember we still went on to this party. I mean, now... When, it, when I had my third, I would have gone, we're not going to a party. I don't need to go to a party. But it was still at that point where you're trying to keep up whatever it is you're trying to keep up. I don't bother with that anymore. I don't think you can when there's three kids, but there's no there's no point. My expectations are low. Everything is very low. And, um, and I can remember being there but feeling like everyone else is there and they're moving around me and I am here physically, but I'm not here. And all, all the sounds feeling a bit muffled. I'm thinking like a really cheesy 90s music video where like, like there's loads of stuff going on and the person who's singing is in their own bubble and everyone else is blurred. But it felt like that. That's what it felt like, um, that I wasn't really there and I couldn't connect with anyone. Like whether that was to have a conversation or say something funny or I just I just was in my own head is what it felt like. And it looked to me like Doug was fine. Doug, Doug could talk to all these people and he's working in the room and chatting to people and I'm just here, but not really here. That's what it felt like.
1: So how did you go from having two, mm-hmm. feeling that way, and then deciding, yes, years later, but mm-hmm. still to go, cool, let's go again?
0: So I think I knew what I needed to do differently, which was to massively lower my expectations, to... Doug and I's relationship had probably changed in that time where I think I very much took on a very traditional I have to make the food, do the house, you know, all that stuff, which I now would talk about to the cows come home about equality. And I know you guys do loads at MFF about it. And Elliot just posted something amazing the other day about that i a Doug was off to work, especially because I was on maternity leave. You know, I had two maternity leaves pretty close together, so my role was kind of home, and but that that meant that something was probably missing for me because I, and and it's okay that you, that for a while that is your role, but I was almost fighting against it, but also feeling that that was my role. I I, I know so much more now and understand it so much better now than I did then. But in that beginning bit, part of probably why I felt so flat is like it was like, well, I have to do this. This is my role and I have to make sure that everything's homemade and and, you know, all the guilt. I felt such guilt, which I just I still sometimes feel, but I push it down. So like that is not that is not a legitimate feeling that I should have. When I'm trying to also have a career, that's okay. I'm allowed to do that. So I, so there, I th- Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone off for naps. Now I bloody love a nap. Still, I mean, my youngest is five, and I'm still really into naps. I had one at the weekend. But looking after, that like, realizing you can care for yourself, you can nurture yourself, you can do some of the stuff that makes you feel good. And I kind of had stopped most of that. I think to be a mum, and and a partner, like a good wife, and all that stuff. And, and Doug wasn't, it wasn't like he was being a kind of terrible, stereotypical man. But if I was doing all that stuff well that, he he was working. And so that was our kind of split role. And actually it was only when I started the business. So the kids were one and three when I started the business. And I think that I had to pull up, pull back from some of the home stuff in order to do that. And that meant that we then had to address how we as a couple were going to run this, like how are we going to manage the kids, both work. And so we made adjustments there where Doug could do the food shop or he did two drop-offs a week or all that stuff. So that came between number two and number three to the point that by the time I had number three, I got a doula, which was just, she. she's the most amazing woman, Sophia. Uh, still a good friend. She's got five kids of her own. And uh, yeah, I know she's mad, but she, but she was the most nurturing empathetic woman I have ever met and probably will ever meet. Brilliant, funny, mad, but she would come to my house and she'd have some stuff in her bag. She'd strap Frank onto her front and be like, right, we're going to, we're going to cook something. You go upstairs, you go and sleep. And she would send me upstairs to nap. And then she'd wake me up with like, she'd have made some food And she'd have the baby like, he's ready for a feed, so you're on now. But I'd have had that break. And that changed everything to how I felt after the first two, to having, just looking after myself and looking after us as a family because that also meant that when Doug got back from work, I didn't want to kill him. (laughs) didn't feel that rage of i've been here doing everything because i had the support i needed and actually if you go back however many years that's what people would have had from their families and we just don't have depending on your setup but i don't have that i'd have both sets of parents are a couple of hours away i haven't got any siblings nearby like we've we've chosen this life and we're doing it on our own in lots of ways but to having a doula and it's like a couple of afternoons a week. Because I and I understand you've got to be able to afford that. But if you've got nine months you know you're having a baby, it doesn't have to be you don't have to have them in every day and it doesn't have to be crazy expensive. Even if you had someone once a week for a couple of hours, it's just knowing that there's a period in your week where you're going to be able to switch off and just be able to look after yourself and when you think of it like that and you think about how what women used to have, where they used to have 10 days in hospital before they had to go back into their home um, and they would be looked after and they didn't have the pressures that we have and they weren't also trying to get back to work. And a man's role and a woman's role were, I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily the, what we want now, but they were very defined and they were very separate. And that probably made it in lots of ways easier than what we're trying to do now, which is fairer but it's harder, I would say.
1: Sounds brutal. And that resonates so much with me because I've been quite open. Like, there's days I don't leave the house with the twins and it sounds horrible, like openly saying that, and even worse probably on a podcast, but I'm honest. Mm. And that's because the rain has been horrible recently. Like the rain's going sideways. <laughs> I'm not going to go into my car, put together a twin buggy to then get a child, Go back in the house. Oh, this child's pooed. Got to bring the other <laughs> child back in. Change them. Oh, you pooed up your back. Oh, I've got to change that. <laughs> then I've got to go outside. Oh, it's raining. Then I've got to come back in. Everything's wet. I've got to pull them in. I've got to switch the alarm off. All of that, even just trying to articulate it, yeah. is, a, is a, a lot of palaver. Yeah. So why then would I want to do it? And it sounds horrible because it feels like my babies are lockdown babies because they're not leaving the house. Yeah. But I'm trying to do what I can do for my own sanity and it sounds horrible but i've learned through having conversations that's what i had to do yeah. but for you i guess it's like different because where i'm a dad on shared parental leave i pretty much fall through the cracks and left alone because there's no necessary assumptions made about me mm-hmm. no one asks me questions so i yeah. feel i feel lonely for different reasons yeah
0: yeah yeah but yeah.
1: for you as the mum the face of the house the face of the family in that capacity mm-hmm. people are going to have certain expectations on you mm. what were the expectations that were put on you that made you feel like you had to tell doug i 'm not right like mm. and and who put them on you? Was it society was it social media
0: i think I think it, a lot of it is what we 've learned from so society, but what we 've learned from previous generations and how they did it like I think there's a real internal battle for a lot of women who want what we should have, which is equality and to be able to, whether that is working or not working, that doesn't mean we all have to do the same thing, right? But it's having that choice. And I think there's, you want that, oh, you might have it. You probably had it before you had children, which is where it's so stark when suddenly you're like, oh, I can't leave the house. And, but also still having it in our heads that we should be doing the fulfilling the role that our mums and their mums did which is to be the homemaker, to be on top of everything, to look after everyone, to think, put everyone's needs before ours, um, including our partners, but especially the children. And even like making sure you've communicated well with friends or um, relatives that they know what's happening and have you planned Christmas and have you, like the, the volume of stuff is so big and it takes quite a lot, I think, I think it takes quite a lot of confidence to say, I'm not doing it like that. And I don't think you have that when you've just had a baby because it's your confidence is not because you don't know. And 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 also if you had not a huge expectation of what it was to have a kid, which, like I say, I don't think I particularly had thought about. It just kind of happened. Not it didn't just happen, but I hadn't really thought about what it was going to involve, what the impact would be. So when that then comes along, you're the, the winds knocked out of you and everything's changed your 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 body and your relationships and your friendships and all the things that you got feedback for as well like if you were at work and you got a bit of feedback or you put on an outfit and someone said oh, you look nice or all of that stuff however big or small it is it's just gone and but it's only gone for a while like I know that now because I've got a 12 year old and, and we're kind of out the other side but for a while it's it's just such a big change and you can feel so different and trying to figure out who you are again is is really tough.
1: It can be hard. You, I, I've seen quite a while ago, I think for my firstborn, that it's easy to sort of be sucked into a supporting cast role where all your job is to prepare for the next thing. Oh, I've got to do this to prepare for them to go to nursery. I've got to prepare <laughs> for them to go to PE. I've got to prepare for them to do this play date where's your life where's what you want to do oh that doesn't matter anymore because it's for this child or these mm-hmm. children and it can be brutal
0: mm.
1: if again if you went back and you spoke to yourself at your lowest point what are you saying to yourself to help you not feel that you're doing a wrong thing by
0: feeling what you're feeling i think it i think it would be to it's to say exactly that you do realize that all of this stuff has changed for you so it is really normal for you to feel like this like and and it's changed for Doug as well like all the foundations that you had that were really solid and how you felt about yourself and about each other and about your work and how people felt about you all of that stuff feels like it's disappeared overnight whilst you're trying to learn how to look after a baby which you have no idea what you're doing so you don't you just feel so uncertain, but I think to say i would i and there's something that I probably say to other people is like you do not know what a good job you're doing, and you'll never realize how good you are and and what a good job you're doing and I think it's really important to tell people men and women with small children that because they will be do and and apart from the odd few people who are probably not people that you or I particularly know who are bad people the majority of people are doing everything they can to to look after that kid and they only know what they know right so if you're if you don't feel like you're getting it exactly right you're probably learning it and then maybe if you have another kid you'll do it slightly differently or do it slightly better but you're you're doing everything in your power and i think where women in particular are so hard on themselves you'd need they need to be told that they do they are doing a good job because no one's telling you that or it feels like no one's telling you that
1: yeah it can it can be very difficult and it's even like something is as looking at yourself in the mirror you're not seeing Steph you're seeing a reflection Mm. and you don't acknowledge what you like what you don't like why you don't like something why you do like something Mm. and for the moment we if we can have a chance at looking at ourselves like that and realizing we're doing it, then probably it means we're not looking after ourselves in other areas as well because we're not we're not recognising that we are an individual, not just a tool to facilitate our family.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that, like you're saying about not taking the kids out, the kids don't care. Like you know, it's like it's like when people say we always have to like try and justify what we're doing so it's like when people say about they put their kid in nursery and they're like oh but he loves it he's socializing well actually he probably doesn't love it he probably doesn't care he doesn't have an opinion if he was at home all the time he'd love that just as much as he would love going to nursery like but we've got to try and justify it. it's like you've just got to do what you've got to do and not feel like we've got to i don't know but again it, it and some of that probably is more so we said about, is it society or is it social media? or stuff? I think social media has put in a whole layer of shit that we feel like we've got to do, whether that's sign language with like a four month old, who's literally lying there like a potato and that's <laughs> no, there's nothing going on. And we're taking them to baby massage and like, we're doing all this stuff because we've, there's all this information and there's all this stuff you can do. And there's probably research somewhere that says that this is really soothing stuff, but the most I would have thought, and I'm not, a scientist but i would have thought the most beneficial thing a child can have is happy relaxed parents who are okay or parent you know whatever your yeah. setup is it's not that they're sitting in a church hall learning how to rhyme something with a tambourine i don't know but we've gone so far into that and it is a very different world to what our parents had. So I suppose there again, there's that massive change, but we're trying to straddle both worlds. We're trying to do all the stuff that we know that we could do with them, but also maintain the stuff that our parents maybe did have. And they're just, it, it's just a mess of stuff that you've got to try and figure out which of that is important. And I think when you say about lowering expectations, that's a big one.
1: Yeah, I could. Have- like the baby massage and stuff i get that it it can feel very much clicky like you're mm. doing it to keep up with the joneses and i think that's because of social media this is my personal take on it yeah yeah it can feel if you're not doing this you're not doing a good job when it really really it's meant to get you out there to socialize get you out the house to mm-hmm. mingle mm-hmm. but from the time that you don't fit in with that click or you're ostracized for whatever reason like trying to go to a class with twins
0: no just mate, stay mate I can park up
1: outside <laughs> of the venue I still got to take the buggy out of the car yeah. because I can't carry the two of them strap a bu- um, the, the kids bag on my back it's not a
0: thing no if it was also, just a one
1: child
0: they start at a certain time so you've got to be there at a certain time the kids don't work to that no. there are I think there's more places that are doing like drop-in type things which would make more sense and also, like I just remember, with Buster, I'd book like a term of classes because you had to book a term. Yeah. And then I'd go to three out of probably eight, and you'd be like, I have just spent those costs each cost fifty quid or something stupid because yeah. I, I and I didn't do that with Frank, my youngest. I I, he spent a lot more time at home with me, and our bond is no like our bond's great. Yeah. And, it, and he's lovely. I don't. Well, he is lovely, except for that he's got a twelve-year-old brother. So we'll see how that goes. Because he's he's fine.
1: Oh, uh, the thing, the thing is, I get that. I because I, my eldest is a boy. Then I mm. got my middle. Then I got my which is Dawson. Then the youngest one because they two two minutes separate. Not like, like you, five years. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I got two minutes. He gets the hand me downs of his older brother. Yeah, she gets odd things here and there. but mum's kind of taking care of it. So I feel. Bad, in a sense. Like, this is parent guilt for me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you don't know. All I've got to do is make sure I tag the know. right picture, say which child it is. Is that yeah. like Kingsley or Avery? That's Kingsley. There you go. That's fine. But you've save garments. Don't worry about it. Don't the matter. face is slightly like, different. It's
0: and it's like... a nice thing. Hey, it's sustainable. You're, you're doing a good thing. Yeah, I'm I trying think... to save the environment. Yeah. But I think there's loads of things that we build up in our heads that matter to kids, and they just don't... Or, and like you say, it's, it's probably pausing and going... Does this matter to them or to me, or am I doing this or feeling like I should be doing this because everyone else is doing it, or it feels like everyone else is doing it? Like my kid, none of my kids had swimming lessons apart from like one, the odd one at school, and they could all swim. And people always go, people are always going on about swimming lessons. Like, but I just we used to take them swimming because it was an activity when if it rained you could still go swimming, and yeah. if it was Doug and I and Fra- Frank has done it a lot less than the other two, but we could it was just something to do and then they'd be really hungry and then they'd eat and then they'd sleep like there was a re, there was a whole method to it but and I used to think oh yeah I oh I didn't it's like that's okay they learned to swim yeah there's just certain things that I think our generation feel like we have to do and it's like you you don't
1: well I'm glad you seem to push past that gives me hope that I'm doing the right thing so that's not an L what would you call that
0: I mean, I think the the journey, sorry to use the word journey, but the, I went on after that in terms of I started to write about motherhood and, um, and I wrote honestly about relationships and I still talk and write about those things. And like on the podcast, the, the most popular episodes are about sex or relationships and stuff because I learnt so much from that period with, um, with doug and I and also we we learned to talk about it because we realized that that's what we need to do and all, and read what other people have said or listen to what other people are saying about it to try and understand each other i think um so i i think to have that low probably gave me a whole other understanding of motherhood and, and empathy that i still use all the time with my work and my my job and my work has ended up kind of going in a direction that I mean I started as gifts for new mums because I thought that new mums needed more looking after and that is exactly like a recognition there from that came from having my own experience of having kids and I hope it also makes me a better friend like one of my friends had, had her first baby Congratulations to them. Ago. Yeah, and well, she and she's my age, and she's just had her first, and she was like, "Oh my god, I didn't <laughs> know." You know, it's come as a total shock. But she then does, you know, I can talk with her because I still remember it or I think some people forget, and then they go, "Oh, your like babies are so wonderful. You should cherish this moment." And I, I just think it's the shittest thing you can say to someone because <laughs> if they're if they're not cherishing it, you're just making them feel bad. Yeah. And I I get it because I will now look at pictures or videos of the kids when they were small and go, oh my God, they were so lush and I want to eat their little chubby cheeks. But I can still remember, I think, because I wrote about it and talked about it and all that stuff, I can remember that that's not how it felt all the time. Some of the time it did, but just not all the time. And now they're getting older. And we went out from, you're like this actually, we went out for a meal the other day. And afterwards we stopped and went, Oh my god! No one knocked over a drink. We didn't have to order in ten seconds flat because you know when you sit down, you're like, "Can we order now? Order now because they're gonna they're gonna like someone's gonna have a meltdown or someone's gonna fall asleep or so." And I was like, "Oh my god, maybe we've done it. We've got <laughs> <laughs> we, we've got out of that because I don't imagine going out to eat is particularly fun for you. I mean, do you? I wouldn't bother if you've got to. <laughs> I went
1: out. I went out once, and Missy had to go to the appointment. I had to go her place she booked a table it was raining sideways yeah of course it was had to get the buggy out had to deal with my son saying I want to get out first no stay in the car have to negotiate with my three year old yeah then got him in there oh yeah I'm ordering oh wait I've now got to feed them with high chairs that don't work okay cool when I say don't work they're all like like coming apart
0: yeah
1: can I have two high chairs we've only got three okay one doesn't work okay so good you do that Oh, my son now wants to get this. So I've got to get up, carry the children with me. Oh, mate, I promise you.
0: No. See, but at some point you'll be sat around and and the older two now, 10 and 12, they're, they're fun. Like you can have a conversation with them.
1: <laughs> they're fun. <laughs> Frank,
0: Frank, Frank will be standing on the table like showing us his bum. That's quite standard. And like, but the, the level of physical chaos That it used to be when we walked in, five of us walk in somewhere and you're just like, oh my God. Or the devastation you leave behind. That's not quite as bad as it was. So that's something to look forward to. Well,
1: that's fine. I feel like this has been more my L's than anything else. (laughs) So I appreciate that. So you're saying it's more of a journey and I love how you documented all the things. And I'll go back. When you was talking about you did your blogs and, you know, you're talking to people, mm. I'm a firm believer that you are your first customer. Mm-hmm. So when you did what you did, you know, don't buy flowers, that's mm. because you are your mm. first customer. Mm. And that's why you're forever going to be good at what you do, because you always remember mm. what you are. You're meant to have sort of like an avatar of who your target audience is. And you look in the mirror and you see yourself and go, mm. would I like this? Can mm. I see a benefit? And that's beautiful. Mm. What I will ask actually do, because I'm conscious of time, for the next two minutes, please shamelessly plug yourself and anything you've got yeah. going on before we conclude.
0: Okay. Um, well, so don't buy her flowers. I think that's the main thing. So we're a thoughtful gifting company. And the key bit that we do, which is why I've mentioned that thoughtfulness is kind of at our core, is that you can handpick products so we've already obviously found brilliant products lots of we work with lots of smes and you can pull together a package that is bespoke and unique to whoever it's you're sending it to and then we gift wrap it all up and it is um comes with your message handwritten and that's that's the core of what we do and it might be bereavement or get well or birthday We all sorts of random reasons as well that people might send some a package to someone um, but the But the best feedback is when someone says this is the most thoughtful gift I've had, whether that's they were having a rubbish time or they're having a celebration of some sort. But quite often it's when someone's going through something difficult or they've had a baby and they call us out as this is the most thoughtful gift I've had. That's when we're getting it absolutely right. Um, Yeah. And we also do corporate gifting. So companies trying to be better at gifting. There's a lot of dreadful corporate gifts and branded stuff and really kind of ostentatious stuff. And we're really enjoying working with companies who are trying to do it a bit better and not just send out a load of stuff. Like we would make sure the companies we're working with, what are their values? How is the packaging? Is it sustainable? All that stuff is really key. Um, So that's a big area that we're doing. And then, yeah, the podcast and just social media, I'm there not don't do as much as I used to on social media just because it's I think there's a, I think I need more of a balance yeah to not we all do yeah otherwise it takes over doesn't it if you're if you're chasing um I don't know chasing followers or constantly trying to create content it's just not my thing it never has been really to try and make it look I mean I definitely don't try and make it look beautiful there's usually a picture of my washing
1: <laughs> it helps me to normalize things look yeah, see yeah, honey yeah. it's not just us it's not just us
0: yeah 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 look <laughs> look that washing is always there there's so much of it with five people that's the problem um but yeah I think that I think that's probably me
1: well I greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing as you did oh,
0: it's so nice to talk to you
1: Big, big fan of you and all that you do. And to all the listeners, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been more of a therapy session for me to go, it will get better. It It will. will It will.
0: I absolutely promise it will.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. So, (laughs) each and every one of you, just from the stories that you've heard of real life events, it can be traumatic. It can be hurtful. It can be hard to digest what your new normal will look like. But ultimately, chances are you are tougher than you think you are Mm you have survived every worst day thus far and will do going forward and ultimately and then you'll know what i say is that there's nothing about a caterpillar it's gonna be a butterfly look at steph and her situation look where she's coming from to where she's now and there's other chapters in her life that she's gonna have to navigate as well and i have no doubt she'll smash them down but she probably will feel what she's feeling in those moments when they happen but I'm grateful for her, grateful for all my other guests and I'm grateful for you guys listening so I look forward to catching you guys the next episode